we work in hospitality, being hospitable and friendly to every single person that you can be in the industry will get you so far. You know, if you keep your eyes open and you put yourself out there as somebody who is hardworking and smart and interesting, um, then stuff pops out of nowhere. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It's incredible how a moment or a spark can lead to a journey for the rest of your life. That first moment of stepping into a commercial kitchen, your first oyster, that first real glass of wine or coffee. Simple moments that trigger careers and forge a path that may not have entered one's mind before it. Jessica Arnott is the Assistant Manager of Foxtrot Unicorn Bar in Perth, WA. Jessica, how are you going? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's probably unfair to label you as Assistant Manager because I think you do just about everything um, at the venue, but it's it sort of epitomises your career. You've um, had made a real success of front and back of house. Um, where did it all start for you? Um, I Well, my... It really started because my parents used to take me everywhere with them in the in the 90s when I was growing up. And they used to go and eat out a lot. And so I was always kind of hiding under restaurant tables or kind of running around <laughs> <laughs> the fancier restaurants of Sydney at the time. So I think the interest has always kind of been there. But I was never very particularly interested in high school. And when I was about 16, I did a barista's course kind of on a whim, 15 or 16, um, and ended up getting a job at their cafe on the weekends. So I was, you know, all through my HSC, I was already working a cafe job on the weekends. Did you see a career in hospitality at that stage or was there a moment that sort of triggered for you? It wasn't until heaps later. Um, Well, there's kind of, it's kind of two parts of, of ending up in it being a career. The first one was that I had zero interest in going to university whatsoever. Um, I just knew that I was just going to end up with a big hex debt and nothing to show for it. So my parents went, okay, that's fine, but you have to get a job straight away. Um, And my mum took me to – my mum and I went and had lunch at the Bayswater Brasserie, which was quite a kind of – you know, it's an iconic Sydney restaurant that I had been frequenting since I was about two years old. (laughs) And the restaurant manager there at the time had also been there working there kind of on and off since I was a baby essentially. And mum asked him if he took on trainees um, and he said, no, but I give her a job. So I started working at the Bayswater Brasserie when I was like, like literally fresh out of high school, I was 18. Um, And it wasn't until years later when one of my mum's friends made a joke um, about, you know, one day when Jess has her own bar, we'll, you know, go and drink margaritas there and blah, 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 where it kind of went, oh, yeah, like this could actually, it could be a thing. Like I could could stay, I could do this. This doesn't have to be a transient job. (laughs) What was it like? The Bayswater Brasserie is legendary with some incredible talent that went through its doors. What, what was it like as uh, when you were so green to hospitality? What was it like for you? It was amazing. It was amazing. I, I really credit a lot of my talent and future to the training that I got there. Um, first of all, when I 
started working there, Naren Young was the head bartender who has gone on to amazing things in New York. Um, Charlie Ainsbury, who's, you know, one of the best bartenders in Australia, he started there about six months after I did as a bar back. Um, So the talent was really, like, it was a a really kind of golden era in the bar there. Um, And I just started as a food runner and running running this little kind of tiny dispense bar. Um, And it just really set me up for the rest of my career. The the venue manager was um, a real stickler for processes and doing things efficiently and properly. And so that was really ingrained in me from the, you know, from the word go essentially. And the chef was, you know, really beautiful old school kind of French cooking. Um, he was a bit of an old angry chef, um, but I ended up with him kind of wrapped around my little finger a little bit. Um, and we had a really good relate working relationship, which taught me a lot about ha- like managing up, I guess, a little bit as well. So I've always got on really well with kitchens because I've known right from the start how to kind of make it work for myself. Um, and, yeah, I just I, I can't I, – I honestly can't think of a better way to have started off in Hospo than there. Well, uh, your career is um, – there's sort of different phases of it because there's a real food focus and there's a real front of house and bar focus. But in the early days, it was all about bars. And can you, can you tell us some of the really important venues and moments that were um, sort of integral in your development? in the early days yeah so obviously you know Bayswater is kind of one of the first ones and I wasn't as I said I wasn't bartending yet when I was there but I was watching some really amazing talent and that's kind of where my interest in cocktails kind of got peaked um and then I moved to London um just before my 21st birthday and the first venue I started working out there is I got a um cocktail waitressing job at Match Bar W1 and Match Group at the time was one of the leading cocktail groups in London. They had amazing staff training. So every month there was a training, you know, I'm a 20 year old going and having cocktail trainings with Del DeGroff, things like that. Amazing. Um, and I didn't end up bartending there, but it really gave me the knowledge and some drive. So I ended up kind of taking a sidestep and working somewhere crap, but I already knew more than it. I took the job because it was kind of half bar, half um, waitressing shifts. And I just snuck into the bar that way and kind of went from there. Um, I would say the next major one for me would be when I moved back to Australia. Um, I started working at the Victoria room, which was in Darlinghurst, um, which again is kind of quite another iconic Sydney venue that was there for about 10 years. And um, I was working under um, Lee Potter Kavanaugh was a bar manager when I was there and he drove a really hard ship, um, like, had really, really high expectations of the bar staff who were working there and really kind of drove us all to enter um, all the cocktail competitions that we could. Um, and that that training there was definitely like a big, big one for me. Um, learned a lot working there. That was definitely one of the bigger cocktail venues because I ended up managing that. I ended up taking over from Lee. So not only did I learn about cocktails, but I kind of learned about people management and managing a venue there. What was important at that time when it was your first role sort of managing people? What surprised you about what it took to, to do it well? Um, just about – it took me a really long time to get um, the idea that you have to look up from what you're doing because I'm quite – 
um, a stickler for like, if I could just work dispense and just make drinks and make them look pretty and send them out constantly, like I would love that. That's kind of why I'm quite good back of house as well. Cause I, if I, I can just get really stuck in the zone of like, um, doing a production line of things. I actually quite enjoy that work. But when you're a manager, you've got to look up from that. That's actually the least important thing you can be doing. And you've got to know everything that's going on in the venue at once. You've got to know what's happening pretty much on every table, back of house, front of house, and being able to kind of balance all of that and do it calmly. At the Vic Rooms, that was one of the biggest things that I learned, I think, was that panicking and stressing out really doesn't help anyone or anything it doesn't improve the situation so you've got to kind of come at it with a nice calm head um and yeah really look look out at and have every every little twitch and and thing that's going on in the venue you've got to know what it is (laughs) that was definitely a steep learning curve um you've won awards for as a cocktail bartender uh Tell us about those uh, those awards and, and the impact that it had on you. Yeah, it's pretty wild when I first started because when I first started doing cocktail bartending and, and entering competitions, there were like no women. You know, there was a handful of women in London doing it when I was there. And when I came back to Australia, there was really, you know, the amount of cocktail competition finals that I was in that was – me and nine other boys was it was and that's just what it was like for years um thankfully i've you know gotten it, it's amazing that i've gotten to watch it change with my own eyes it's still not completely there but um yeah it was wild it was i've always really enjoyed the cocktail competition side of it it's like the you get to flex your creativity which is something that's super important to me i, I always whatever i've done i've needed to have an outlet for my creativity, not just the kind of monotonous day-to-day of the venue. Um, you know, I love that bit, but the but the creative side is really what kind of keeps me ticking with it. And that pressure of competition, um, I loved. And on top of that, it's not just about winning the competitions. It's the best place to network. I've met, you know, heaps of my really good friends and future employers and stuff have all been through competitions. Not to mention, you know, I've gotten to go on trips to like, I've gotten to go to Nashville. I've gotten to go to Cognac. I've gotten to go to all these amazing places through competition as well. So that's always a really lovely <laughs> silver lining too. <laughs> well, with an inability to travel overseas at the moment, do you have any stories of, of one of those trips and the influence that it had on you? Yeah. I mean, you look you look back at some of them now. You know, I we went to one of the f- – trips I went to was for a a gin competition and we went over to Cognac in France and it was bartenders from all over the world. I think there was, you know, every finalist was from a different country. Um, And then you sit there and the judging panel are like these people who are just at the absolute top of their game, celebrities, you know, in not to not household names, but to bartenders, they're, you know, the peak of, of, um, you know, the, your, where your career could go. And just getting to kind of soak all that in and learn from those people is just insane. Like you get such a different perspective um, and really interesting getting to hang out with bartenders from other countries as well because I think even more, I think, you know, yes, yes, it happens with food, but um, the drinking culture in different countries varies so wildly from, from country to country because, you know, and different, the, the palate 
of the people that they serve. So, you know, if you ever meet an American bartender, their drinks are always going to be much sweeter than Australian bartenders just because that's the people that that's the culture, that's what they serve. So really, really interesting getting to learn all of that kind of stuff as well. You ended up relocating to Perth and there was a massive switch in your career and you went from front of house to into food. Can you tell us why that is and um, and what you did? Yeah, it was a it was a interesting interesting time that um, around then. I had met my who you know now husband and father of my child a couple of years prior, um, and he had a job opportunity in Perth. So we ended up doing um, some long doing like a bit of long distance for a while, um, and I had hopped into a, a brand ambassador role for one of the big uh, alcohol brands, and was quickly realizing that that is not a role that suits me particularly well. And my mental health wasn't great situationally kind of between the job and being away from rich was just nothing was working very well. Um, <laughs> and it kind of all came to a head when I just had a, had a bit of a, had a bit of a, a crying in the shower breakdown moment and realized that, you know, something needed to, something needed to give that it wasn't going to work um, and decided to move over to Perth um, to give that a shot. Um, and so I came over here and I decided that if I was going to come over, I didn't really want to be working nights anymore. But if I was going to move to, to be with Rich, that, you know, I didn't really want to do the daytime, nighttime switch that we we had been doing because he's he's a day walker. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so I ended up getting a job at Simon Johnson, um, because I'd always loved it and, you know, had a real interest in food and kind of my theory back then was that if I was going to have a venue one day that I wanted to know as much about every facet of the business that I could. So Simon Johnson became my little happy place working in the fromagerie there. So I learned a wild amount about cheese in six months, which was awesome. Um, But the monotony of kind of day-to-day retail started to swing in a little bit um <laughs> and the season of master chef that i had been watching every night with my newfound kind of free nights um had a couple of uh sean and jamie who were both friends of mine from who had been bartenders as well um were both on the season prior um so i kind of had a bit of inspo and got a bit bored one day and decided that i would enter and Lo and behold, I, I made it on and made it pretty far. <laughs> well, I just want to go back to the fromagerie that you worked at with Simon Johnson because you're known as a, a bit of a cheese specialist and a cheese nerd. What, what is it that you love about cheese and is there anything uh, in Australia that you kind of like to sink your teeth into at the moment? Yeah, um, cheese is a fascinating um, item that I don't think most people, you know, particularly in Australia, we don't revere um you know really good quality cheese enough um i don't think we understand why it's as expensive as it has to be and you know it's just really interesting product um you know it has that real like you know does sound like a total wanker but it has to 100 percent um you know in countries where you can get unpasteurized cheese and and when you have the really beautiful european hard cheeses over here you know you can taste the change in them. So if you get a wheel in summer versus a wheel in winter, you can taste the difference between the milks that they were made out of. Um, 
the best thing about working in the fromagerie was getting to taste things kind of over the course of a few weeks. So as they aged um, and seeing how they change the smell and flavor from when you first open them to, you know, three weeks later, they would go through this complete journey. Um, and both, you know, sometimes they would improve, sometimes they would get worse, but finding the sweet spot of when they were amazing, it was kind of like everything I'd learned about wine, but you could actually taste it as it was happening as opposed to, having to wait four years and fingers crossed pop the bottle that it might be nice you know you could actually see that progress happening um in front of your eyes which um i found really fascinating and still do um as far as australian cheesemakers there's way more now than when i first started simon johnson i think it's really like start like i'm really impressed that the industry's kind of starting to come into its own um, as far as here in wa um i would say the guys down at Cambrai in Nanup do these amazing hard sheep's cheeses that are just beautiful, um, really kind of sitting in that – they're almost like halfway between a Manchego and like Alpine style, but they're really beautiful. Um, obviously, um, Bruni Island, um, he has absolutely led the – led the, the the forefront here of trying to do some unpasteurized cheese. His stuff is amazing. Um, and the other one that we've had on the menu a lot at um, Foxtrot is um, from Section 28 in um, in South Australia. They do really beautiful, like, alpine hard cheeses as well. They're amazing. I think the, the hard cheeses are probably the better ones at the moment because in Australia we still can't have unpasteurized soft cheese by law. So I think the hard cheese is definitely kind of where it's at as far as interest goes. There, there is good soft cheese, but there's better hard cheese. <laughs> MasterChef has become a vehicle for a lot of people and most contestants um, for their way to come get into the hospitality or food industry, but you were already in it. Tell us about entering that and, and why you did it and where was your cooking at um, prior to going into that competition? I was a pretty good cook going in. Like I hadn't had any professional like training or anything, but I have always loved cooking since I was a little kid. Like I've always cooked a lot. Um, I really enjoyed kind of experimenting and, and, you know, cooking at our house was never particularly fancy, but it was always like a family affair. It was usually a barbecued meat and some vegetables and stuff, but we all did it together. And my mom's, my mum has been like an organic produce nut since way before it was cool. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> since I was a little kid and I'd be like, why do I get these tiny wrinkly apples and everybody else gets fancy, big, shiny apples. Um, and it was cause it was the state of organic produce juice when I was a small child um but so I've always had that instilled in me um so yeah definitely uh love to cook before I went on um and it's really it's 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 interesting kind of coming from a different background because everyone goes oh like how did it change your life completely like how did it change I'm like well not really I kind of just do the same thing as I did before but now like people care about my opinion more or the doors open easier or things like that. <laughs> it doesn't, didn't really change my trajectory all that much. Um, but it was definitely advantage going in there. I think I had two distinct advantages kind of walking through the door at MasterChef and one was my hospo background. Um, cause I felt much more comfortable, like particularly when we went out to restaurants to do challenges and stuff, I already felt really comfortable moving around a kitchen and how to speak to the chefs and all that that stuff was already part of my repertoire. And the other half of it is that my father um, 
is in the film industry and has been since I was little. So all of my family friends are in the film industry and I used to go and help him on set, um, you know, on the school holidays and stuff when I was a teenager. So also walking into a TV set and, you know, sitting down in front of a bunch of producers um, didn't scare me like it did a lot of other people. That didn't give me the nerves like um, it did a lot of other contestants. So I think they were two very distinct advantages for me for the, for the, from the start. Well, you also became known as the one who put booze in everything. To, um, <laughs> a bit of lubricant for the judges to uh, get them get them along their way to be happy with your your meal. Do you have any funny stories of um, things gone wrong that we sort of didn't see on air? Oh, I think this is pretty gross, actually. Um, but <laughs> there was one of the challenges we were doing where the you had to put. You had to, it was a mystery box and you had to use every single ingredient in the box, in the plate. And I was like, finally, this is my chance because I'd been wanting to do like a, a cheese board, but make all the accompaniments to go with it. And we'd been given some really lovely, um, I think it was Miloir, um, their blue cheese, um, on the board. So I was like, great, we can, I can just serve that as it is. And it's like, bit of a talking point from some Johnson story um, and then we can use everything else. But then halfway through, I ended up cutting the corner off my thumb um, and I kind of like held it quick but, you know, ended up having to get it wrapped up and it was like bleeding really badly and took ages but ended up wrapping it up and going back to the dish and I knew that <laughs> basically it was like a tiny piece of skin that was on the chopping board and I just really quietly – grabbed it and threw it in the bin and just kept going and didn't react to it at all because I knew that if I reacted to it and that the story producer saw me do that, that they would make a big deal out of it and they'd make me throw out all of what the prep that was there wow. and then I wouldn't have had an ingredient. Like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to use everything in the box because they would have made me throw that out. So I just kind of swept it under the rug essentially and kept cooking so that I could still be kind of counted for it. So yeah, slightly manipulative and slightly gross, but it kind of worked. <laughs> well, well, those experiences that you had with food with that show, it led to you uh, working in the kitchen with, at the flower factory. Um, tell us about what it was like in a um, commercial kitchen, um, even though you had worked in hospitality all your life. Yeah, it was really interesting. I got kind of really lucky going into that role. Um, that venue was just opening up and um, I knew the bar manager of the venue and he kind of put me in contact with their chef um, who really um, – he had no judgment over the fact that I wasn't a trained chef or, you know, that I'd been on master chef or whatever. If I was keen to go and, and could work and, and do stuff, he was happy to have me and to train me, which is pretty rare. Um, I think a lot of the other chefs that I have encountered and, and end up the head chef who took over from him kind of dismiss – they dismiss your talent or they don't really – like want to put in the effort, which to be honest with you, I completely understand because I know that there's a bit of stigma that comes with it. And there's a lot of contestants who don't actually want to do the work and put in the time. So I, I know it's fine. That's a, a stance that I can respect that some chefs take, but this guy was really open and, and happy to have me. Um, and I just really wanted to, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be a chef long-term um, in my heart of hearts, but I knew that I wanted to go and put in some time and actually really solidify the skills that I had learned in a proper commercial kitchen environment. 
Um, and these guys were milling their own bread. They were making all their own flour every day, making their own pizza bases, curing some of their own meats. You know, there was a real good, really amazing cheese program. Um, so all the like stuff that I really, really wanted to learn and care about. Um, and it was fantastic getting to kind of learn that environment, um, properly. Um, as I say, I, I can't count myself really lucky that I found a kitchen that, took me kind of at face value rather than judging me on the way that I'd gotten there. With all of this experience and you said that you've loved cooking all your life, how do you describe your cuisine? Can you give us an example of some of your sort of dishes that you would do regularly? Well, (laughs) it's a kind of, I've always pretty like, I'm not particularly fancy. Like I, I, and I don't necessarily stick to, like a cuisine as such, but it's always just really like, like big and hearty and like full of flavor. I love working with spices and stuff. So at Foxtrot Unicorn kind of, and what I've been doing for the last year and a half or something since we've been there, minus the bit where I went on maternity leave, um, (laughs) is uh, we do like amazing jaffles. So that's our our star dish and kind of rotate the flavors all the time. So even though it's a seemingly simple food on the outside, um, there's a lot of love and care that goes into them. There's a very specific cheese blend that I've made for them um, and just kind of big, hearty, you know, interesting flavors that kind of we change them all the time. Um, and I just love that, like building, like anything where I'm building and layering flavor and getting it really nice and hearty and punchy is kind of my jam. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you, can you give us an example or two of one that's on the menu at the moment that, uh, that you think is a, a really good one? Yeah. So uh, probably a couple of the standout, the, the two all time favorites that I get asked to put back on all the time is pretty early in the piece. We did a, we did a samosa jaffle. So did like a potato and pea samosa filling, but inside a jaffle and we served it with some tzatziki on the side. So that was like, I'm I'm all for a bit of carb on carb action. Always makes me happy. <laughs> uh, so double carb, bit of bread, potato in the inside. Um, and then one of the other kind of all-time favorites uh, was we did this kind of thick bechamel with uh, quite heavily spiked with like pepper and nutmeg, um, some sausage, so uh, pork and fennel sausage mince, um, and uh, we did like a crispy kale to put on the inside. So crispy kale, sausage mince, um, and, and bechamel, a little like bit of chili flakes and nutmeg and stuff all toasted up. That's definitely one of my all-time faves. <laughs> you mentioned that when you went to Perth, uh, you wanted to uh, let go of the the sort of night owl sort of life that you were living and work more in the day. Um, bars don't really generally often offer that, and you've also become a mum in the last year as well. What's it, what's it been like um being a new mother, working in a bar, running, running the, running the venue, and creating the food. Some of the, has there been challenges involved? Yeah, it's 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 pretty wild. Um, trying to make it work. Um, I think that um, for women, it working in hospital is one of the like. If there's, it's really no wonder that we lose so many women out of our industry because there does become a certain point where if you want anything other than just to work shifts and work night like it becomes virtually impossible unless you're financially capable to kind of run your own thing um i got really lucky in that 
Foxtrot belongs to one of my best mates, Dimitri, who um, it's his kind of first opening. And when he was gearing up towards opening the bar and took me on board, like I was already pregnant when I got hired. So he knew what he was getting himself in for. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, it, there was always that trajectory. Um, and I am super lucky that he just like is super flexible with me as long as the work gets done he doesn't really care how it happens um so i just kind of you know i i definitely don't i would like to put definitely put my hand up and say i don't run the venue but i you know i do make sure that there's food and i i look after our events and i've kind of i've kind of been lucky enough to create my own role so i'm looking after the functions and events and social media side which is all can be done remotely or during the day or things like that uh and then we have a our menu is really um built around the fact that i can prep it outside of nighttime hours and then our staff just come in and kind of cook and and, and either cook the jaffles or, or plate everything up kind of to 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 order um at night so yeah I, it's definitely from the grace of of others and allowing me to 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 build that but um i i'm under no false pretenses that i'm very lucky because i think this industry is really really hard once you have a children to, to to kind of stay in as a woman it's really i don't know how, what the answer is but it's, something needs to change <laughs> How do you see the next couple of years for yourself now that you do have a, uh, your first child and, um, you know, you've won so many awards, uh, as a, as a cocktail maker, but also, uh, cooking as well. Do you, do you see hospitality being a big part of your life as well still? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, I am moving away from working service and working sh- like, you know, night shifts. I don't really see that being, um, very much part of the future um as much as i do love it it's not really congruent with kind of what the other things that i want more um but i will always stay connected to hospo somehow um i'm definitely trying to build the side um of my skill set which is the sort of events and social media and and marketing kind of side and really want to use that to help smaller venues out so you know there's a lot of little bars and restaurants and stuff that don't have the the budget to be hiring people to do you know lots of the kind of big social media companies and stuff that they're really expensive and it's not it doesn't doesn't work for you know if you've only got one bar you're not going to spend thousands of dollars on marketing and and that kind of stuff just doesn't make sense with the with the bottom line but you know i, I really want to figure out a way to to stay within those venues that i have loved working in and and give them a hand and and sort of build that side so yeah it's it's a definitely a work in progress at the moment um i'm juggling a few things because so i'll be at foxtrot we're about to open another venue in the next few months um which i won't have anything to do with the food for we've got a lovely amazing chef who's coming on to do that so i don't need to worry about that side of it um but i will be taking on kind of again the kind of events and social media and stuff so yeah it's it's a it's another another form for me to take <laughs> yet another yet another chapter in my my weird cv but um yeah definitely not planning on moving away from 
being pretty closely connected to to bars and small restaurants and stuff anytime soon because I love them. <laughs> well, your weird CV, you know, has sort of sees a journey through front and back of house. Um, for for those in the industry that are looking for sort of change. Um, what sort of advice would you give um, to broaden their their um, skill set like you have? I think it's just a willingness to do anything. I've always been that way. So even when I was a bartender, I would always happily work on the floor, um, you know, and, and just really get your hands in anywhere where they're needed. Um, always do as much like, you know, I, I think – for a lot of people, particularly like in the in the bar, particularly the way people see themselves kind of changing is to move into brand roles or reps, sales, etc. Um, that's great for some people. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, but just being, you know, we work in hospitality. Being hospitable and friendly to every single person that you can be in the industry will get you so far um, because you never know what opportunities are gonna peek around you know if you keep your eyes open and you have put yourself out there as somebody who is hard working and smart and interesting um then stuff pops out of nowhere my mum is always my mum always laughs because she just thinks that the universe hands me things on a plate but I, <laughs> you know she's like how do you always get these opportunities i'm like well, i just look out for them and then you know you have to you have to throw your hat in the ring and you have to be somebody that if you, if you've been nice and respectful and smart then people will take you seriously no matter what you want to do you know even if the experience isn't there but they know that you've got a kind of a personality type that will be able to conquer it then chances are they'll give you a chance well jessica that's amazing advice and uh we've loved having you on deep in the weeds today to hear your story um good good luck with um the new venue it's uh fast approaching and uh and hopefully um we can catch up again with you soon Yes, hopefully for a wine face-to-face sometime in the future. <laughs> well, that'll be <laughs> One day. One day. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.